As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steininger. Today we talked with Tucker Max, best-selling author of a lot of books you've probably heard of, including I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, uh, and founder of a new startup called Book in a Box. Michael, what'd you think? Man, this was um, this was really exciting to talk to, to Tucker. I've known about him for a very long time. Um, and we got to hear about the process that they, they've developed, which creates in, intriguing stories, which is probably one of the hardest things to do. We're all trying to tell our story in different ways. Um, and, and they've come up with a systematic process to do so. So um, what did you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And I think um, for anyone who's been familiar with um, kind of his old stuff, it's going to be really interesting to see how much he's grown and changed really in the past few years. Um, and he just has a really interesting outlook on life and business and uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. Let's get into it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I talked to Max of Why Decision about why he uses Hover. I was using Enom and GoDaddy for domain registrars, and I was looking for something different. I came across uh, Hover then. What I really liked about Hover was it was easy to use. I had a clean interface. I'm a designer by heart, so I like things like that. Go to Hover.com and use the code SATISFIEDCUSTOMERS to get 10% off your domain purchase today. Horse You know what a gator is? Horse It's like an alligator. Yes. No, oh then. HostGator makes web hosting easy and affordable. With packages starting at just $3.96 a month, it's the easiest way to get your next project online. Go to HostGator forward slash promo forward slash rocket ship to get 30% off today. You've heard me rave about CodeShip before. It's because they're an incredible team building an amazing product that makes my days happier and my code more reliable. 
Recently, they shipped an incredible new feature. It's called Parallel CI, and it allows for faster testing than ever before. Early access customers like Product Hunt have improved their development speed tremendously. If you haven't yet, tell your dev team to start a free trial. They have a super generous free plan, and they also offer 20% off three months to all Rocketship listeners. Sign up at codeship.com forward slash Rocketship. Start by telling us about Book in the Box and how this, how this kind of idea came to about. Well, so it basically happened. Uh, I was at this entrepreneur dinner, and this uh, really smart, really successful entrepreneur comes up to me, and she uh, she says, "Look, you know, I I, I want to write a book. I've got this great idea, and I've had people tell me I should write about this for years, and you know, it's kind of related to her business." Okay. And, and she she says, "But I just don't have the time. I cannot." I'm running a company, you know, I don't have time to sit down and write a book. And and she's like, and I kind of looked into it, and the whole process just seems so confusing and frustrating, just writing and publishing and everything. She's like, can you solve my problem? And um, <laughs> it, I, I was like uh, kind of, uh, not a dick, but I was kind of like dismissive a little bit. I was like, well, you know, I'd love to be in the NBA, but I'm not seven <laughs> feet tall, you know, like sometimes you just you have to sit down and do it, you know. Right, like right. I can't just magic things into existence for you, uh, you know. And I started kind of talking to her about hard work and how books are hard work and all, all the sort of platitudes that you hear from from people about this. And uh, she rolled her eyes at me and um, and said, "Okay, uh, are, are you an entrepreneur?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I, I'd like to think so." And uh, at the time, I, like I, I kind of was doing some side things and whatever. And she's like, "Okay, well, I'm an entrepreneur too. And at my job, I have to solve problems all day. At your job, do you solve problems or you just lecture people about hard work?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> she was so right. She totally smoked me. She's, it was such a, a beautifully constructed call out that I, I actually stood there speechless, kind of dumbfounded, staring at her." For like 10 seconds. And it's really hard to do that to me. And she, it was like a gut punch, right? <laughs> and and it was like, I was so profoundly wrong. And it wasn't even because it was like the quality of what she said. It's just the way she said it and the fact that I was so profoundly wrong. <laughs> but and it was like, she just gave you this task to do. I mean, I, I mean, it was like, but it, 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 it was just, I don't know. It was like, she was so right. And it was okay. like. It was like sort of like um, when you f- you've realized Santa Claus isn't alive or something, or <laughs> it's like you realize this painful truth about yourself, and it was like, oh my god, I'm such an elitist, arrogant shit, and she's a hundred percent right. And um, I I was too flustered in the moment to think of anything other okay. than stutter, you know. <laughs> but uh, basically, over the next month, and so of course, I became obsessed with this right. issue. She right? challenged you. Yeah. Of course, and, and she was right. And she was right. right it's not right. just the challenge. I mean, people come up can come up to me and be like, "I can out drink you," and I'm like, "I don't care, doofus, go pass out on the street, right?" But uh, she uh, she was so right, and uh, so I became obsessed with this, and I eventually kind of long long story short, I figured out a way that where she could uh, spend twelve hours on the phone with me. And I would uh, kind of interview her and uh, do it in a very systematic way where I could get all of her information and ideas out of her head. And then I could do all the work of turning it into a book. Okay. And it would be her, you know, her words, her ideas, her book. But I did all the sort of uh, annoying busy work part. And, um, and so I told her about like, how I thought it could work. And she was like totally on board. Here's, uh, you know, here's the money. Let's try it. And um, 
And so it ended up working really, really well. Her book's actually out now. It's called The, the Pop-Up Paradigm. Her name's oh. Melissa Gonzalez. And uh, she's done amazing with this book. It actually it hasn't sold that many copies, but she's uh, you know, in this kind of small niche area of retail. And she, she's keynoting three retail conferences this year. She's signed like a couple million dollars worth of consulting contracts. And she's been featured in all these retail publications because her book was legitimately like a new idea in retail, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so she, was, she was like, you know, a real entrepreneur and, and she wanted attention for her business and her idea. She didn't really care how many uh, copies she sold. Um, and so it's been this huge success for her. And, um, and it turns out that there were a lot of other people who um, had her exact problem. And so my buddy and I uh, ended up turning this company into a book, and we, or I'm sorry, this, this idea into a company, and now we call it uh, Book in a Box, and we charge $15,000, and we do exactly for people what we do for her, and um, it's, it's kind of taking off. So I thought, um, was there a component, because we saw it on Product Hunt um, right. like a week or two ago, was there a component where you take uh, content from their blog even and create a book out of it rather than the phone, or is the phone <laughs> the way that it works? We, we, can, we can kind of do any of that, although okay. it works better. So, so the process, a little bit more detail, is we spend – we have two different we, – we work with freelancers, and we have, like, amazing freelancers. And I, I did it with Melissa the first time, and then I kind of came up with a process, and now we have, like, world-class editors and writers who work with us. And so you, you get assigned uh, an editor and an outliner. And uh, they talk to you for about two hour-long sessions, and they really kind of figure out exactly what it is you have to say, and they create an outline of your book. And we have a whole systematic set of questions they ask, and then from that, they figure out exactly what your goal is, uh, what you have to say, who your audience is, the best way to position the book, to frame it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, um, then we assign a writer or a journalist to you, and they interview you off of that outline. Right, yep. and so they basically ask as many questions as they need to for as long as they need to until they feel like they have every bit of information and knowledge and wisdom out of your head about the topic of the book. Then uh, it gets tra- that audio uh, recording. Usually, about four to eight hours it takes people, and then that all gets transcribed. And then that same journalist or writer uh, will essentially translate your audio text into book prose. So it's all your words, your ideas, your sentences. It just flows really well on the page. And it's super easy for them because they already have the audio transcript and they have the outline. So they basically know exactly the structure and everything of the book. And then from the, that's a rough draft. And then mm-hmm. you get to look at that. Some people take that rough draft and they do months of work on it. Because like they have a blank page problem, but once you give them a good rough draft of their ideas, they can really flesh them out and add to it. Sure. And other people are like super happy and they're like, this is amazing, go with it. And then we do obviously all the rest. And super, you know, like high professionally published, amazing book covers, amazing interior design and layout and all the stuff that makes a book look professional as opposed to amateur and self-published. And um, and then we put it up for sale everywhere, and that's it. So where how when you're asking them these questions, what how do you find the story that you know is going to be intriguing to put into a book? Yeah, so it's um it's actually way easier than it sounds. Okay. It's one of those things that it, it it's sort of like you ever been to an amazing restaurant and you eat the food and you're like, how could you ever like put all these ingredients together in this way? It seems like magic, right? Yeah. yeah. But but if you actually go watch you watch a cooking show and you're like, oh wow, it's actually not that hard. It's sort of the same thing. It, it'd be hard to really think up if you don't have any experience. But mm-hmm. I've been writing stories for 
10 years and I've sold millions of story, millions of dollars worth of stories and I really know how it works. And, and we, we got a couple of people on our team who are just absolute story rock stars and we just broke it down to make it its most simplest, most constituent sort of elements. And so the basic idea is there's three different types of nonfiction books. So we figure out very quickly, is this a how-to advice sort of a prescriptive book where you're telling someone what to do or you're teaching them how to do something specific. That's one outline structure and set of questions. Then there's sort of memoir autobiography, someone who wants to just tell their personal story or tell like a story about something, and that's a different set of questions and outline. And then there's sort of argument advocacy where you're sort of making a point or trying to you know say something like, you know, Republicans should rule the world or Democrats are the greatest ever or whatever. And that's a different set. And then it's really from there if you actually looked at the questions, you would be like, oh, these aren't – like any one question by itself is really not – it's not a magical thing. Yeah. It's, it's just the way – we ask them in such a way and they go back on each other um, so that it's sort of like um, you know, they double check each other. And it's, it's a very systemized process where if you take our process plus someone who's very – who's had a lot of experience writing and editing and, uh, and sort of in books and publishing and stories, it's really, really easy to do actually. So $15,000 is kind of your first you know, barrier of entry to work with someone, but how else do you screen out like you know, someone with a lot of money who just really doesn't have anything to say and yeah. it's probably not worth you know, the time and energy of you know, the quality of writers that you've hired? Right. That's actually a really good question. Uh, we, um, we have this weird sales process where it's not – so uh, pretty much all of our – we don't have any outbound sort of sales, meaning that we don't cold call anyone or reach out. It's, it's all inbound sales, meaning people who are already interested cut, reach out to us. And so when we were hiring salespeople, it was actually very difficult because when you say sales, people are like, oh, yeah, I can close anyone. I can sell ice to an ex- Eskimo. And we're like, no, 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 we don't want you. Like if you say coffee is for closers, you're not right for the job. Our <laughs> salespeople are actually the reverse because we're trying to qualify people. Not even financially qualifying people is really easy. You have the money you don't. But the problem is there are a lot of people who have the money but they have really unrealistic expectations of what a book can do for them mm. or they don't have anything to say. And so our process, we can't help those people. And so we have to figure that out before we start uh, because we don't want people who have unrealistic expectations. Like if they think they've written, you know, they're the next Malcolm Gladwell and that they, that, you know, they're going to spend uh, like uh, the last $15,000 in their savings and they're going to sell a million books in the first month and they're going to become rock stars. They're going to be mad at us no matter what we do. Even if we, we do an amazing job, they sell 10,000 books, which is like a major accomplishment for a nonfiction book. They're going to think we failed. So we really understand what people's objectives are and make sure that they can make sense. Um, you know, we're not judgmental about it. It's just, is this a realistic goal for a book, right? And, uh, and that, and then also we ask them, you know, like, what do you want it to say? Like, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to... Uh, sort of express, et cetera, et cetera. And if they're like, oh, I don't know, I just kind of want a book, then it's like, okay, you need to find a ghostwriter and and just tell them to write a book about sales or or, or t- speaking or whatever it is you want and then, then pay them 50, 75 grand so you get to put your name on it, which is a totally different sort of thing. We don't, our, our writers and, and editors and, and the people we work with are not, um, they help with content a little bit, 
but they help you with your ideas. They don't create or write or invent ideas for you. That's not what they get paid for, and we don't do that. So yeah, we have to. Our salespeople are really about making sure we don't take the wrong clients on who are gonna um, either have nothing to say or think that um, you know the book's gonna make them you know Brad Pitt or something. How common is this in the in the in the kind of the book publishing industry to have a team that basically writes a book for you? Is it? I, I guess coming from our world where we think everyone's writing, is this not actually the case? You know, um, so our company does something that is. Far as I know, no one else does. At least the way we do it is mm-hmm. very unique and different. Um, there are plenty of ghostwriters out there. Okay, that, that's very common. Uh, and a ghostwriter is, like I said, is someone who just they, it's their ideas and their writing, and you just put your name on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very common. There are a lot. Most celebrity memoirs are ghostwritten uh, or co-written, uh, something like that. I, I actually got hired to write a celebrity memoir. Um, I, I and you know what's funny is uh, they paid me a huge amount of money. Uh, it made me sign an NDA as well, so I actually can't tell you who it Which is. Which one it is. Oh. Uh, yeah, right. I, I really can't because they paid me so much money, and I really don't want them to come after me and take that money back. So I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> did you interview the person, or did you just do research and write a book? No, I spent about – this is before Book in a Box. I spent, okay. um, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 hours on the phone with him over okay. a couple months. And then I wrote, I wrote an amazing book actually <laughs> that's – that, and it did well. It sold really well. So think about celebrity books that have sold well over the last year, two years, and you can probably know who they are, who it That's is. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I was, I, it was kind of depressing actually because I felt like some parts of it were better than my book, and I was like, man, why did, why wasn't I doing this when I was writing for myself? Right. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, we don't. There are definitely a lot of people who do that, and like CEOs and those sorts of people, they hire ghostwriters all the time. Totally happens. Uh, and. Whatever. I mean, the problem with ghostwriters is that uh, you don't really know the quality up front. So sometimes you get great ones, sometimes you get crappy ones, and it, they're very expensive. A good ghostwriter generally starts around fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars, and oh, that's just okay. to the yeah, that's just to write the manuscript. That doesn't even include everything else. Interesting. Okay. So I, you were, you had an interesting quote when you were on um, James Altucher's podcast about like ten percent of your life is actually interesting enough to write about, and I was wondering if you had any way that you knew what was going to be interesting when you're when you're when you're out in the world when you're experiencing things. What stories to to come back and tell that will resonate with people? Like, are you just talking to people and watching their reaction? Is there any way that you test these stories before diving into like a full book, which is a a pretty big endeavor? Yeah, you know, it's weird. My writing career, so, you know, I wrote um, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, which is a really famous book, Mm -hmm. and then uh, Assholes Finish First and Hilarity Ensues, and and those books, um, you know, they all sold a lot, and they were, you know, bestsellers and blah, blah, blah. And um, I I kind of stumbled into that uh, as a job. And so I, I was. It started because I was writing emails to make my friends laugh. Okay. And uh, for real. And I knew my friends thought it was funny. And I had no idea anyone outside of my nine friends would think my stuff was funny at all. I thought you had to know me to think my stuff was funny. And it turns out you didn't. And as I got um, better, or as I realized more and more, it's sort of like a, a calibration issue. It's it's not any different than an entrepreneur iterating on a business model. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you start in one spot. And you get one thing working, and then you test. You know, it's sort of like build, ship, test, repeat. It's yes. sort of like write, ship, uh, gauge, reaction, repeat. You know, it's not a fundamentally different process. 
And I, I got really good at understanding what people thought was funny and what they didn't and why. I didn't start there. I think I started with a good understanding of what my friends thought. And there's clearly a lot of overlap, but it wasn't perfect overlap. And um, uh, it just took a lot of work and a lot of practice, but it wasn't like, – it's sort of like, you know, that's why what, – what startup advice? Start with a tiny market, prove your product in a yeah. tiny market and build out. I don't think writing is fundamentally different. The only, I think, difference is when I put out a product, I iterate on it. When you publish a book, it kind of sticks. Like yes. you can't edit it and then, right. and then you know, but change this funny part. Book. I didn't start with a book, man. I started with emails to my friends. You're right, and, right. That makes know? sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so as you're, as you're writing now, you've kind of changed your course over the last couple of years and, and um, what was it, frat tire? You've kind of moved away from, from that style. Where do you find the engaging stories today in your life? Um. Man, I don't write a lot of engaging stories anymore. Okay. <laughs> you know what's, what's funny? I'm, I'm almost 40. I turned 40 this year, and I have a wife now um, and a son, and my life is, like, so boring. To, to someone on the outside, I think, you know, the exciting thing is, like, oh, my son, you know, uh, uh, stood himself up at a coffee table today for the first time. Like that's the exciting thing that happened in my life, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is very exciting for it me is. and my yeah. family. <laughs> but like you don't give a shit and no one else does. It's a baby. Babies develop the exact same way. This baby is totally irrelevant except to me, except to me it's my baby. But <laughs> right. to everybody else, like they don't care. A baby's a baby, right? Mm-hmm. And so like I don't have um, – I don't really have a lot of – it's funny. I think in a lot of ways, uh, really rich, rewarding lives are also some of the most boring. Huh. You know, Like I love my life now and it's very um, rewarding and content uh, and I have a lot of contentment. But it's not anything that I think anyone else would care about. Um, so I don't really write about my life. The stuff that I write that I think resonates well – is I do write a lot about lessons I've learned or ways I think about things uh, in business. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, uh, I wrote a, a story on LinkedIn, actually, about the origin story of our company and about the lesson I, lessons I learned and how, like, basically, like, the title, you heard the story. The title was my startup made, like, whatever, 200000 in its first two months, and I'm embarrassed. Right. And what I was embarrassed about was how this woman called me out. because, And, and then... The, the, so the whole story tells the story about how I, I, I basically put this process together out of off-the-shelf technology and insights that I had five or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I could have done this company five years ago, and I didn't see it because I was too arrogant and too elitist in what I thought writing was and who writers were. And, uh, and so like I just talked about that insight and how you could use that in your own life to maybe find ideas for companies or whatever. And um, and people love that because it's like, you know, it helps them in their lives. So I don't really write funny, interesting stuff anymore in terms of like, oh, that's so amazing. It's more like stuff I've learned or how I think that can help other people in their journey. Have you found it hard to kind of overcome people's expectations of what they want you to write? Uh, I mean... Uh, the fans of my old stuff know I retired, and some of them are like, "I don't understand. Why aren't you drunk? You know, <laughs> laying under a table screaming at people." And I was like, "Well, because I'm not an idiot anymore, dude. You know, <laughs> like there are some of those people, but um, I've never. 
I'm not. I'm bad at a lot of things, but one of the things I'm good at is not letting other people's expectations dictate and dominate who I am. Uh, so, I it's like one of those things where it's like I, I just don't. I don't spend too much time worrying about what other people think I should be or should do. Um, it, if you do, it's like how do you move forward and how do you do the things you want? You know. Yeah. So how do you um, how do you not let it bother you? I mean, that's. What, what, do you not read it? Do you just kind of? No, it's it's. Um, I, I feel like my answer is well, I just don't let it bother me, which obviously isn't an answer, right? Uh, that that's that's a tautology. Um, I'll, I'll tell you. Here's 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 maybe a better answer. I feel like if you have a really strong sense of self and a strong core of relationships around you of great people that you love, because I care about what the people around me think. Mm-hmm. And I care about what the people I love think, right? And the people that I have relationships with, definitely. I'm not like one of the, I'm not a sociopath who's like, I don't care what anyone thinks. You know, that's ridiculous. Right. There are people that matter to me a lot and whose opinions matter. And I think I put pretty much all, not all, 90% of the stock uh, that I put in opinions is either in my own or in the opinions of the people around me that I know and trust and, um, and, and love. And so I just don't have, I don't have much left for other people. You know, like uh, like my buddy, as my buddy would say, I just don't have any other, any other fucks left to give. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, I guess that's really all that matters too in the end. Kind of like you were saying, you know, you you have the family now. You that's, that's what matters. You have the people that love you. Right. I mean, I've always had good friends around me, yeah. but it's especially now I have like a, a, just a really a really great unit of people around me, family and then extended, you know, friends and, and whatever. And it's like, as long as I, I have good people around me and as long as I know I'm doing good by good people, then I know I'm on the right path. And if some drunk 22 year old thinks I'm not doing the right thing, then probably he's wrong and the great people around me are right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Probably. And we all change as, as, we, as we go through life. So. Right, of course. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I played with G.I. Joes when I was 10, <laughs> and I played with myself when I was 20, and neither is right or wrong. They're just different. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. That's a great way to put it. Um, so where do we kind of keep up with you um, online? And if anyone's interested, where do they find Book in a Box? Well, you can go to bookinabox.com would probably be the best place to start. And it, it describes the whole process pretty much exactly what I just said. Um, and uh, and we're actually, I'll tell you, our process is expensive, so obviously it's not for everybody, but we're coming out with a book soon, I think in a month, that okay. outlines our entire process in detail. Um, and so people, you can, you, there's nothing magical about our process. We just did a really good job of making it work, and we're going to explain it to people so that like you can do this at home without having to hire us, because obviously we're, we're far too expensive for most people. Um, and, and that book will be out soon. You can sign up for, for the like uh, email to get uh, not- notified when it's out, or you can, you know, if you if you want us to start working right away, just go to bookinabox.com and fill out the form, and, and we'll be in touch. Uh, I the stuff I write for myself is on um, my old stuff is on tuckermax.com, uh, but my new stuff is on the site called tuckermax.me. Um, and but it's not anything that amazing. It's just sort of like. Uh, various business insights or things I've learned or whatever. I think it's pretty no, no, interesting. No funny story. <laughs> right. No, but I think it's pretty interesting. It's pretty fascinating to hear too from your success what you've learned. So um, I would recommend checking it out to anyone that's curious. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Definitely. Thank you guys for having me on.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And make sure to check out our app discount section where we feature discounts from amazing companies like Treehouse, Wistia, Woo Themes, all giving you exclusive discounts for being a Rocketship listener. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials. Thank you.